Hello and welcome to the year in review. Thanks for joining me. This is Greg Lois. Let's dive right into it. Uh, I know 2020 is a year that nobody wants to think about ever again, maybe in history. Um, so let's look ahead to 2021 and look ahead to brighter times. Um, today I'm going to talk a little bit about some good stuff. I'm going to talk a little bit about the handbooks that we have. I hope everyone who's watching right now has had an opportunity to grab a copy of the handbook. We'll talk a little bit about what we've done differently in 2020 and what I expect we're going to do differently in 2021. Of course, I'm going to talk a little bit about some case law changes that are going to impact the way we defend cases in 2021. I have to talk about COVID-19. I'm sorry, everyone. I'll keep it to one slide and really quick. Uh, and then I'm going to give as much practical advice and as much practical takeaway as I can uh, based on what we saw in 2020 and what we're kind of predicting for 2021. So this is going to be uh, a little bit fun. It's totally live. I hope everyone has some questions. Uh, maybe you want to ask me about trends we expect to see in 2021. Will the trends from 2020 hold up? Uh, Greg, when are these COVID-19 cases going to materialize? Answer, I hope never. Uh, and what's sort of on the agenda for next year? So. I really want to look forward. This is a little bit of a restart uh, as we kind of look into what we're going to be doing with our clients in 2021, what kind of training we're going to offer, what we think the big trends are, uh, and where we expect things to go. I should also remark uh, that the board is rolling out a lot of new stuff in 2021, uh, including their uh, onboard system, et cetera. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what the board is doing as well. In 2020, one of the things uh, we rolled out here at the firm uh, was every single email that comes from us contains uh, a series of buttons. And the buttons are uh, one, to send a case to intake, or two, for general questions, three, if you want to request a handbook, get immediately sent to you, uh, four, to sign up for live training. And the last one uh, was to rate our service. And that was really like a, hey, give us some feedback. Let me know how it's going. Got a lot of feedback from clients in 2020, and I thank you for that. I did look at every single bit of feedback we got. Uh, when you click that radar service button in every single email you're going to get from every single person that works here, uh, and there's about 70 of us, uh, I get a live alert and it tells me here's what's going well and here's what's not going so well. So uh, a really useful thing that we use to sort of fine tune our practice in 2020. It was also really useful uh, in light of the fact that I primarily have a distributed workforce at this time. Right now, uh, we have out of our 70 plus employees and seven litigation teams, on a daily basis, we only really have a few people in the office every day. So taking advantage of that, um, give me a rating or give me some quick feedback about how the attorneys were achieving for you, super useful. So to the clients out there, keep hitting that button because it's really useful for me to help address concerns, uh, really look at what kind of our service standards and if we're hitting them. So thanks for doing that. And it made a big difference in 2020. And that's definitely gonna be in every email in 2021 that you're gonna see from us. Uh, next. Uh, if you're a firm client or if you're on my mailing list, which I presume everybody on this webinar is, you know our 2021 handbooks came out about a month ago. I hope everyone has a copy of one of our handbooks in your hand. The firm publishes four handbooks a year, uh, and every year we update them uh, to put in every case law change, every statutory change, every benefit rate change, uh, everything that we see that's coming. We try to be a little bit predictive about what we think is going to emerge in the following year, what the board's announced, or what kind of case law trends we're seeing. Uh, but three out of our four handbooks were completely revised for 2021, and they all have some very significant changes. 
Uh, if you don't have a copy of the handbook, they're really easy to get. You just go to loisllc.com publications, click the link. You can instantly download these uh, publications. If you're like me and you want a physical copy of a handbook, uh, please reach out to me and we're happy to send them out to you. Uh, we also send them out every time you send us a new matter in 2021. You should be getting a book if you're a new client being onboarded. So New York Handbook, this is our New York webinar. Uh, what's new in the New York Handbook? And I got a copy of one of them here. Uh, here we go, found it, all right, there it is. Uh, well, it got significantly thicker this year uh, because we added some new stuff. Biggest change is an entire chapter on how to defend COVID-19 cases. Uh, this chapter includes our best predictions. Uh, obviously, there is very little scant case law on how to defend COVID-19 cases, but you know what? We've been defending tuberculosis, infectious disease cases, uh, pinprick cases or, or needle prick cases in New York for 100 years. So plenty of case law to apply to it. Uh, we have a new chapter, and it also talks about um, the how to raise and prepare defenses. Uh, and particularly in regards to COVID-19, we're encouraging clients to using things like records reviews in lieu of an IME, which is not gonna help you. Uh, taking a really close look at the tests themselves, which involves uh, really being able to analyze whether the test itself is valid or invalid. So a new chapter on COVID-19, I, I invite you to explore it. Um, we did a lot of extensive, uh, extensive changes to the book on the appeal process in New York. And, uh, that's something of a mystery sometimes or why we're using an appeal tactically versus strategically. So we did spend a lot of time uh, revising that, that and trying to make sure that that was complete and up to date. We also talk about the credit on permanency. If your case has a date of loss uh, after April of 2017, you are now getting a credit on permanency for temporary disability benefits paid after the 130th week. Uh, we've had significant litigation on that and a lot of experience with it. So we, it's really something that we're talking about a lot with our clients. And that's just scratching the surface as to what changed. But there's a lot of changes in this book. We also significantly revised the chapter on Medicare secondary payer issues in New York workers' compensation cases to make that significantly easier to use and navigate. Uh, so that's the New York book, New York Handbook. If you don't have a copy of it, please let us know. We'll get it right out to you. Next, New Jersey Handbook. New Jersey had some amazing changes really favorable changes to employers in 2021. So here's a copy of this guy uh, uh, and one unfavorable change. So the unfavorable change in New Jersey was that a presumption has been put in place in New Jersey that COVID-19 cases are compensable if the worker is an essential worker. And then of course, New Jersey goes on to define nearly everybody as an essential worker. So we did include a brand new chapter on COVID-19 in this book on how to deal with those presumption cases in New Jersey. But the really favorable change in New Jersey is the new case law that emerged in October, and this impacts New York cases. If you have cases where your New York workers' compensation claimant is getting medical care in New Jersey, and your New York workers' comp claimant uh, medical provider is now charging you New Jersey's usual and customary rates, the New Jersey Appellate Division has ruled that New Jersey has no jurisdiction, and those cases should not be pending in New Jersey, they should be pending in New York, which means the fee schedule should apply. And so that's a tremendous benefit. We have saved since October, literally millions of dollars for our clients in getting these New Jersey medical provider claims uh, arising from New York workers' comp cases thrown out of court. So uh, that's a really important change uh, that happened in New Jersey. It's very useful for our New York clients. Uh, and we also talk about successive exposure injuries. Uh, next, 
uh, our Longshore book has been significantly updated. And as you can guess, it now has a chapter covering uh, COVID-19 claims. Uh, we've also seen a real uptick in Longshore cases uh, associated with our New York workers' compensation practice. Uh, anybody who's working on a dock, dock builders, wharf repair, uh, anybody putting in pilings for uh, some of the large transportation projects, they are bringing longshore claims. And what do you do with them? So we're talking about that. Uh, our Longshore and Harbor Workers book is completely updated. We also have a new chapter, an expansion of the Defense Base Act cases that we defend here as well. Uh, so there's uh, a lot of new stuff in the Longshore book. Um, all right, those are the books. Uh, my partner Tashia's book on construction claims is largely unchanged for 2021. Uh, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Our monthly learning schedule, I hope you're joining us for it. On the first Monday of the month, we're doing uh, construction defense. And we're really talking about how to coordinate GL counsel and us, your workers' comp counsel, effectively to close cases. On the second Monday of the month, we're talking about risk transfer. Uh, we have uh, been running some analytics on our case population. We've discovered that about 11% of our overall case population, and by the way, we're defending thousands of cases, uh, have a significant risk transfer opportunity in them, and that is to shift exposure to someone else. And so we are aggressively pursuing that risk transfer, uh, whether that be by way of demanding reimbursement or seeking segregation, whatever it takes to get that money back in our clients' pockets. Uh, third Monday of the month, and here we are, it's our New York webinar, and fourth Monday of the month is our New Jersey webinar. So please join us for these things. All right, let's get into the meat and potatoes. Here's the uh, goods and the bads. Uh, here's what we see coming. So first, uh, New York uh, has medical treatment guidelines which control, direct, and limit the amount of medical care that a claimant can obtain in a workers' compensation case. However, uh, it was limited to just non-acute pain, shoulder injuries, knees, backs, and necks, uh, and, and carpal tunnels. So there were six medical treatment guidelines. Last year, 2020, the board announced that as of January 1, 2021, there was going to be a pile of new ones, eight new ones, ankle feet, elbows, groins, hands, wrists, forearms, uh, depressive disorder, occupational work-related asthma, interstitial lung disease, and of course, PTSD. Okay, so wow, we're saying this is great, this is amazing. Uh, the more medical treatment guidelines we can put in place, the better, right? Because it's really gonna help us control and limit the medical exposure in our cases. Unfortunately, uh, I guess allegedly related somehow to COVID-19, uh, the board is delaying the implementation of these medical treatment guidelines. They're now saying spring 2021. Uh, and so all this good stuff, uh, which was going to be a great benefit to our clients, is going to be delayed. Now, I can't even imagine why, uh, why um, you know, people getting a really bad flu would limit you from being able to get uh, to implement medical treatment guidelines. Like, I can't even imagine what the logic is there. Uh, but that's the board. So unfortunately, this really good stuff that we were really looking forward to is going to be delayed in terms of implementation. Uh, 2020, the maximum benefit rate changed uh, and effective July 1, 2020, the maximum benefit rate is $966.78 a week, which is about a $30 increase over the prior year. And you know, I've been doing a little thinking and I've been answering some client questions and they've been asking me, well, maybe it's gonna go down in 2021, Greg? I go, uh, you know, because look, uh, we now have about 900,000 people unemployed in the state of New York. It's literally like one in nine people is out of a job. Um, well, uh, statistics are really interesting. First of all, uh, almost all of that loss is in the private sector. Uh, I think there were 30,000 
government sector jobs lost and I don't can't even imagine that uh, they're still collecting their taxes uh, but um, the rate is not based on how many people are in the workforce it's based on the average weekly wage of the people that remain in the workforce and so even after a terrible disaster which the lockdowns truly are in the state of New York in terms of employment and in terms of harming our economy uh, unfortunately uh, that's not going to really have an impact on the average weekly wage and you could probably expect that in July of 2021 the uh, benefit rate will continue to rise again they don't take into account uh, people that are out of the workforce, unemployment, people that are just collecting their $600 or getting their, that, none of that helps. None of that's gonna change the rate now. Uh, and that's because of the way the rate is calculated. I can tell you that in my experience, been at this 20 years, uh, practicing in multiple states. Uh, the only time in my lifetime that a rate actually went down was in New Jersey. Uh, in 2009, the rate actually declined, I think about $4. And um, that's because of the, the impact of uh, some terrible decisions regulating the banks back then. But uh, we really don't see that uh, to be likely that 2021's rate will continue to, will, will go down. Construction accidents continue to drive uh, a lot of demand here at our practice. We have a construction accident defense team. It's a pretty specialized area. And we have seen a lot of demand and a lot of um, activity in workers' compensation claims uh, from uh, construction accidents. Doesn't appear that many of the largest projects or the larger projects, particularly the government projects, particularly the infrastructure projects have slowed down at all. Uh, it looks like they're still going forward. And so the claims are continuing to come in. Interestingly, I just met with our construction defense team yesterday, and I think we have one COVID case out of the several hundred uh, uh, construction action cases that we are defending. We defend construction accident cases here a little bit differently than most places, and that's because almost every case we defend, we understand that it involves a gigantic general liability exposure that far outstrips the workers' compensation exposure. In fact, we understand that uh, primarily what our clients are concerned about is coordinating counsel as they are litigating in two different courts at the same time in almost all of these significant cases, and that's thanks to New York's very unique labor law which permits construction workers to sue their employers directly where there's been a violation of these very, 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 very uh, vague and uh, very all-encompassing uh, safety violations. Basically, any fall from height allows you to directly sue your employer. And so for that reason, we are looking at very high exposure cases, and we are looking at cases in which uh, coordination counsel is key. Uh, my partner, Tashia Razul, who writes this book, with a little picture of a construction guy on the cover, uh, really spends all of her time uh, helping clients coordinate uh, the defense of dual jurisdiction cases in the construction context. And typically we are defending the workers' compensation portion of a multi-jurisdictional case. Uh, again, it requires uh, close coordination of counsel and a lot of um, sophisticated work. These are generally the highest exposure cases in the state of New York. And of course, our clients are looking for global settlements. So uh, we've seen like really strong demand in that area. Um, if you're defending these cases and you are not happy uh, with the coordination of counsel between the two jurisdictions, uh, please talk to me. This, uh, we have a lot of ideas and certainly I can get you a copy of Tashia's book. That's her picture on the back, uh, which really talks a lot about how to coordinate counsel and get, obtain global settlements in these very difficult to handle cases. Another trend we saw in 2020, which I think is gonna continue, is carriers are starting to wake up. Uh, Self-insurers are starting to wake up and they're starting to defend HIMP-1 claims. If I'm saying the words HIMP-1 
and this doesn't mean anything to you, it stands for Health Insurance Matching Program Claims. And this is where the uh, health insurer, private health insurer, uh, you know, life insurer, or some other insurer is coming forward and saying, you workers comp carrier, you should have paid for the medical treatment in this uh, case or this claim that was brought against me. And they will often turn around uh, to a, a carrier or an employer, and it could be years, because the statute of limitations extends, uh, years after you've settled and resolved your workers' compensation case for Section 32. And out of the woodwork comes some private health insurer who says, you owe us money because we paid for something that you should have paid for. All right, what do you do with these? Um, we saw a huge trend in 2020 of workers' comp carriers actually starting to push back against these HIMP-1 claims. Um, objections can be filed. These are resolved by way of arbitration. They're relatively straightforward. Uh, we have a very uh, uh, good procedure, I think, a very practical procedure for defending these, raising the objections, putting the common defenses out there, and then turning around to the other carrier and negotiating down significantly. And the, and the savings are in the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. I think if you are not resolving or attacking some of these HIMP-1 claims, particularly the larger ones, the typical case that's referred to us is for over $100,000 in exposure uh, to the workers' comp carrier or employer. Uh, I think you're really doing yourself a disservice. Um, and oftentimes, these HIMP-1 claims will arise after some silly-hearted counsel in the workers' comp case has already achieved a Section 32 or lump sum dismissal or they've settled the case. Uh, and they didn't realize that there was this very significant exposure out there that still needed to be dealt with. So that's something to work on. Um, anyone has any questions about HIMP-1 claims, please reach out to me. They're a lot of fun to talk about, and I can share with you some big wins. Uh, next, um, my partner, uh, Christian, uh, was recognized. He's got the fourth most, most downloaded podcast uh, dealing with workers' compensation. His podcast is called Third Fridays. Uh, it is very uh, 201 level. If my webinar series uh, is very introductory and we try to keep it uh, very uh, accessible and understandable and we try to simplify issues, this is where he goes off into the deep, deep woods. He's talking about appellate strategies and, and all sorts of really complicated things. It's a great webinar, uh, sorry, great podcast if you are, are just driving in and out of work. <laughs> just kidding. Who commutes anymore? Uh, but if you were, imagine that. Um, great podcast just to catch up on like what's the latest cutting edge stuff that's going on in New York. And he focuses on New York workers' compensation, very rarely dives into other issues. Uh, but uh, just recently, um, I did one on New York appellate procedure, which I thought was really great. So, uh, and, and his, the one this month that just came out last week is on medical treatment guidelines, uh, pros and cons. And he set up a debate between himself and another attorney to talk about applying the old medical treatment guidelines, and now the new ones, the ones that were supposed to come in in 2021. And would that be useful or good for carriers and employers or not? So uh, if you want to hear a great discussion uh, about uh, workers' compensation issues, that's a great place to go. Next, a big trend that we had, and we've been pushing this really, uh, is case analytics. Uh, our case population is in the thousands. Typically, our case population exceeds uh, the case population of our clients. Uh, so uh, we do run analytics on our case population, and we share that information. Uh, first, we did it internally. So around our office, you can see in this little little area right here, 
uh, we've got dashboards up and our employees can see uh, what referral rates are looking like, what closures are going on, where cases are pending, uh, how many calendar items their team has, all that kinds of stuff. So we started doing that early. Uh, then we started sending to our clients report cards uh, on them and on us. And we're saying, um, here's what our standard time to close a case is. Here's what yours is. Uh, here's how big your case population is. Here's what is the timekeeper mix of partners to paralegals, let's say. Um, here's what cases are in settlement status. Uh, and then uh, last year in 2020, we started expanding this to really offering customized reports to our clients who are asking us for things like, Greg, I want my analytics for cases involving a fall for this specific construction site uh, for this specific time period. So then we started providing really customized analytics to our clients. And that's been really useful. It's also been very useful to, to me, uh, especially over the last year, we've begun to rely on some of the prediction ability that we're starting to develop, which is, hey, how many of these appeals are we going to see uh, turn around and result in a reversal? Answer, 38%. Uh, how many of these appeals to the appellate division are going to result in a reversal? Answer, 11%. So we can start to give people a little bit more objective basis for some of the recommendations we're giving. I know when you get a recommendation from an attorney and, and you say to them, should I appeal or not appeal? And they go, you should. There's a 50% chance you're going to prevail. It's like, then what do I need you for? You're not telling me anything useful. So uh, this is something that we're really driving the boat on and we think is an important way of saving clients money, helping them make better decisions uh, and also allowing them to use a sort of like baseball statistics and compare us to your, our competitors. Well, most of our clients, we're panel counsel, they've got other uh, counsel on the panel and they want to look at us and see how you're doing against um, my uh, competitors. So we also do this internally for guideline compliance, which is becoming increasingly uh, a focus of my attention, uh, and we are always trying to get better at it. All right, uh, last thing is I wanna just talk about very briefly risk transfer opportunities in New York. There's a lot more risk transfer opportunities than uh, we've seen people going after, and particularly now there's been some case law changes that occurred in 2020, uh, particularly involving out-of-state cases, which stand for the proposition that you as the workers' compensation carrier are not limited to the limitation on lawsuit option that is selected by the plaintiff and now the claimant in your workers' compensation case. Uh, there's case law out there that stands for the proposition that your rights as the subregor standing in the shoes of the claimant and trying to recover your money actually exceed uh, the primary or the first party rights of the claimant who's injured in the, in the workers' compensation accident. That's amazing. Uh, my uh, team leader, uh, uh, Chris Major, has done an amazing job of utilizing those out-of-state decisions in order to claw back more money. And we've got cases pending now, subro cases in Connecticut, in New Jersey, in Pennsylvania, and all over the place uh, to do that. And the changes in case law have helped us with those risk transfer opportunities. I see this as a huge trend, uh, which we were able to capitalize in 2020. I think that we're going to even do more of that, and particularly in bringing first-party actions in order to recover additional monies for our clients. So uh, if you're interested in this topic, I would tell you, go look at our website. We just had training on this uh, last month, no, this month, uh, from Chris Major about uh, how to get um, risk transfer from ride sharing. So I want you to think of Uber or Lyft uh, and also transportation network companies. So think about companies that are delivering things on a contract or independent uh, basis. Uh, and how we've been successful in clawing back some money from them and helping our clients get reimbursed. Reduces overall claim costs, ends up reducing uh, costs to the self-insured as well. So very useful. All right, looking ahead. What's next in 2021? 
Now, I've been talking a little bit about the trends and a little bit about what we did in 2020 that we're going to continue to build on. But what's new? Okay, so first is the board is now promising us that spring or second quarter 2021, the new medical treatment guidelines are going to be applicable. All right, so I guess your guess is as good as mine. They implement things at their own schedule. Uh, two, uh, the medical portal is coming It's and they're expanding it. I, as an attorney, am not allowed to access the medical portal. So this is something for TPAs and carriers to uh, get to utilize. Uh, medical portal's intention is to reduce a lot of the paperwork. And as you know, a lot of the paper forms are gonna go away in favor of the medical portal. Um, so that's coming. And actually the board was doing some training on that today. I think there was a webinar that was um, listed at the same time as this. There is training tomorrow and then training the next day. I think uh, January 21, the training ends uh, for attorneys. They post all those webinars on their website, so don't worry about missing them. Uh, the next thing is drug formulary. We were supposed to be uh, under the drug formulary, particularly for refills. They said as of January 1st, 2021, all refills must be consistent with the drug formulary. Uh, again, for some reason, I think they're claiming that somehow COVID people can't get to the doctor which is completely a lie because telemedicine is completely available and we see people availing themselves of that all the time. But for that reason, they have delayed the implementation of drug formulary refills. Uh, this is just them getting away with what they can get away with. Uh, last thing is uh, they won't release the whole medical portal, but they're, they've got this thing they've named onboard, colon, limited release. Uh, quote, it's the weirdest name for uh, some kind of board initiative, which is, again, uh, to have that medical portal be available and have um, documentation. The uh, onboard limited release is really to enable us to apply the MTGs, but they just delayed that. So, you know, it's standard board procedure, I guess. You know, you hire a bunch of consultants, have them do a bunch of things in the background, and then you never release them on time. Okay. So that's what's up ahead. Uh, we're going to see a little bit more digitization by the board. Uh, I have no advice or even guidance that I can provide you on when the courts are going to reopen, although New York has not missed a step. It, they went immediately to virtual hearings. Virtual hearings became mandatory, and really, I don't think we've missed a single hearing or anything. Uh, sure, it's introduced a little delay because the hearing system is a little wonky. Uh, you do spend a lot of time waiting for your case to get called. It is what it is. Unless your case is listed at 9 a.m., it's unlikely to go on time. Other than that, it's worked pretty well. Uh, this can be very easily compared and contrasted with New Jersey, uh, which has become a disaster. The courts have been closed since March, and nobody knows when they're going to reopen. And um, really, nothing's happening. Each judge has had their own set of procedures. It's really not worked. So New York is really out front in regards to keeping their virtual hearing systems uh, running and making it quickly mandatory. So that was very positive. But we intend to see more of that. Just can't predict when the courts will reopen. All right. I'm hoping uh, that uh, some of the things I've been talking about have triggered in you a question of any kind. I will answer any service questions you have. This is totally live. It makes it so much more fun if there are questions. So uh, if you have questions, uh, please, I hope you've been typing them in as we go. Uh, let me open up the questions panel over here and see what we got. Uh, okay, David asked the question, Greg, what is the cost of a physical handbook? The answer is zero dollars. Just email me uh, and I will ship one out to you. Uh, we're a little low on Jersey books, but we've got plenty of New York books. We got my partner's book on defending construction cases. 
So we can certainly get that out for you. No problem, Dave. All right, Mary asked the question. Uh, Greg, can you give the name of that podcast? Easy to remember. It's called Third Fridays. Christian Cisan is my partner. Uh, he's the host of it. And the reason it's called Third Fridays is because traditionally, uh, back in the before times, before COVID, and of course, we're permanently closed, um, Third Fridays were the day of each month that the New York Workers' Compensation Courts were closed. So that's the, uh, the, the name or the basis of his podcast. Uh, so that's the name of the podcast. All right. I don't see any other questions. I hope this was useful. Next month, we're going to be back to our regular topic schedule, uh, which hopefully you found in your calendar. Uh, next discussion we're going to have is on appeals. And we're going to talk about the difference between a tactical and strategic appeal and when to appeal in a New York workers' compensation case. We're also going to talk about the costs of an appeal. We're also going to talk about the predictive analytics. How likely is that appeal going to prevail? Uh, and some of our internal procedures on that. So it should be a lot of fun, and I hope you join me next month. In the meantime, uh, if you have any questions or concerns, any issues, anything you want to talk about, please give me a ring. I'm here, and I'm happy to answer your questions. All right. Have a great day, everybody. Bye.